0: Hello, Curious Crew, and welcome to the Curious Entrepreneur Podcast with me, your Ignition Coach, Sam Squire. And we today will be unpacking our special guest, Katrina Foxton, who has an amazing story. Uh, We've got to know her really well and really interested in getting to know her more from this conversation and letting you guys know more about her. So, as always, please, if you are listening or watching, um, please download this episode. It makes a massive difference to our reach, to let other people in our community and outside of it uh, become aware of the amazing people that we get on this podcast and allow them to listen to the Curious Conversations and create meaningful action in the world we live in. But more importantly, Katrina, welcome to the Curious Entrepreneur podcast. It's lovely to have you here how would you introduce yourself to the world in under 30 seconds
1: 30 seconds okay uh so i'm a daydreaming hearing aid wearing uh green-thumbed uh creative thinker uh who works in archaeology and i have a dog called Leia uh who might come in and bark at certain intervals just a heads up
0: nice so we know when the conversations um going well then when when, the, when she's back <laughs> yeah
1: yeah she just might join in and
0: yeah have her say nice okay cool i love uh, and i like i spoke spoken about before i love the fact that there's no job titles in there as well and um, we're getting to know you as a human today and then we'll come yeah. on to obviously the organization that you work for and the work that we've done together and what we're looking to do going forwards as well um, but as always on this podcast, I kick it off with the same question. So what sparked your curiosity to begin the journey that you're on right now?
1: Um, I think it all began really with uh, God, where do you start? Because it's like, okay, so so many different <laughs> things make up a person, so many different like memories and mm-hmm. so on and i I think what really did it for me, like ended up in archaeology is i just yeah, it was curiosity in um in the past. Uh, but I didn't really know about how that interest would turn into a career until maybe my mid-twenties because initially I was really interested in... uh, So I've been the whole way through academia, right? I've I've got a PhD and that was kind of accidental anyway. (laughs) Um, But I've done my BA, my MA, my master's and a PhD Wow. But my my bachelor's was in English literature, uh, and this kind of goes back to the daydreamy aspect of myself. I I am very intrigued by stories and narratives, and um, completely get caught up in any stories. You know, consume them. But I think that also storytelling and narratives really help with something that y- you might laugh at, Sam. I was really into sales Um, and when I was doing my bachelor's I got a part-time role I think I was volunteering for the student newspaper Uh and I started selling advertising space to local businesses in the student newspaper Uh, and when that was quite I guess quite entrepreneurial at the time because it was a new student newspaper and so none of the none of the framework was there, none of the ground had been tread, trod mm. even. I was in Cornwall, so it's University of Exeter in, in Falmouth. Okay and I was talking to like oh I was talking to all sorts of people like in the local business scene. Um and I I I don't know, I found it really interesting, like learning about what people's business agendas and priorities were, and then trying to work out how they could fit in maybe with the with the student newspaper, what benefit they would get from it and what benefit they could bring. Um, yeah, so I did my English literature degree. I was using narrative to sort of work through those conversations with people, um, talking to them, about the student newspaper and then I tried to get well I did get a sales role after I graduated in London um which was a different kettle of fish <laughs> it was not cobble, and so my journey sort of led me through London in a very dark time it's 2010 post-recession um I was in my 20s and people didn't want to risk paying for advertising space in, in this particular magazine that I was working for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really tough and I basically had to call it a day. And so that failure kind of then made me think a bit more about what I wanted to do. And I basically thought, well, hang on, I really love thinking about history. And when I when I've been writing my like English essays and stuff, I was always going back to the historical reasons as to why things happened the way that they did.
0: Yeah.
1: And so in a really roundabout way, I ended up doing a master's in cultural heritage management at York. And to kind of cut a very long story short ended up getting quite academic with it um again i guess that comes from like the the storytelling aspect of my personality Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and um yeah i don't know if you have any questions about any of that at this point i i could go on to like the part two of my journey but say that was the part we always
0: have questions we always (laughs) have questions so i'm i'm really intrigued uh, it's so it, that's why I love doing these podcasts because you obviously we've we worked together, but we you can go so much like deeper with discussions and really get to know someone's journey. So I, I'm really intrigued around the sales side of things. Mm. During that process, what was the greatest lesson that you learned about yourself?
1: Um... <laughs> that I can be quite persuasive (laughs) that I didn't think I'd had that Uh, I didn't know know that that was sort of part of me Um, and and basically that if I believe in something that I can um, that I can encourage other people to get on board and I felt that the student newspaper was a worthy was a worthy asset and i had all these kind of like conversations with people about how student student and local business integration was something that was something to be talked about and um considered and i think it's i really do think it still is um especially when sometimes there are tensions and challenges um but yeah it's it's really interesting um to me and when I did the, the, the London bit as well, I, okay, yeah, it was really challenging and it didn't quite work out, but actually I took away some stuff from that, some lessons about thinking about like local economy and thinking about how, um, how there's a network of businesses that kind of sort of, operate to, within like an ecosystem basically and i found that quite interesting and i kind of still think about that ecosystem when i'm doing my work now um especially if there's something called um and this is kind of the part two of my my journey uh something called place making um and how archaeology can fit into that too um mm-hmm. and yeah, I think I don't know. I'll I'll leave that to the part two. But the, the the lessons that I learned about myself is definitely that if I if I believe in something, then it can go far, and um, I can convince other people to get on on board. Um, and I guess I'm still sort of doing that.
0: Love that. So yeah, like sharing sharing your vision and and that belief coming through of what you do. And then the, yeah. the the other question I had for you about that journey is what, from your experience with speaking with lots of people, both in Cornwall and then obviously London, yeah, what what one thing converted people to buy more than anything?
1: Well, they had to see that there was benefit for them. Um, And that they could see that there was momentum behind it. Um, I have other sales experiences where (laughs) it's just about, it's kind of about the friendly banter that you get into with the potential buyer. Um, And it does, I think other people working in sales would probably, yeah, say the same. It's a lot based on your personality and how you can, talk the talk basically so I don't know it's been a while since I've had a like a pure sales hat on I've kind of taken elements of it and hybridized it with other aspects of my role but but in terms of converting yeah I'd say if you can convince someone of the benefit because you believe in it Mm -hmm. then that's that's a really good setup for a for a sale mm-hmm. um and i've got a great example but i'll come to that later on
0: <laughs> ah i like it, it. You, you are a proper sales and you're leaving us hanging so we want more it's
1: a narrative you told me I about like the it. journey yeah
0: i like it i like it okay yeah I, I also like the fact that we can tie this into our new um philosophy about living your life in chapters rather than yeah. a career and the story so we've got, we'll yeah we'll, We'll go, we'll go on to chapter, to chapter two surely. But yeah, I, well, what I take from that is building a great relationship, the foundations to start off with, obviously believing in what you're selling because you're going to obviously sell it better, but then you'll, you the, the, the energy is going to come through to that individual. I've,
1: I've thought of another thing as well, yeah. actually, and I've missed out and it's really important. It's actually being empathetic with the other person's position and actually listening to them and actually genuinely seeing how something can benefit their position. That's so important. I can't believe mm. I forgot that, sorry. But that, yeah, so if you can convince someone of the benefit because you know that it's good, but then if you can listen to their story and see it from their point of view and consider and way up as they would be, weighing mm. up the pros and cons and lay out for them and go, actually, I can see that it can benefit you in this way, that's a really important mm. skill to to empathise with other people's positions and their priorities and um in, particularly in a, in a business
0: sense. Such a good point, so good. Yeah, because obviously if you you might if if you're selling something to me, you might know all the benefits. You not, might know how great the product is or service. But then, yeah, by you just speaking at me? It's not going to do anything if I'm still if I still don't feel understood. Yeah,
1: because I haven't listened to what any of your needs. Yeah. or the business needs that you you know where you're going where you're heading and i haven't explained how my product can get you there or help you on your way so it's yeah. complete empty it's a one-way conversation otherwise
0: yeah i love that, that there's there's a few brain nuggets as i like mm. to call it in there <laughs> okay then so moving on to chapter two
1: yeah
0: in katrina's journey what what, what did that look like
1: Oh, well, that was like, okay, so I mean i loved I'm a bit of a bookworm, um, and so I loved like just getting into the i think the thing is about academia is that it is a bit like getting into the hive mind um and it's it's it is addictive, like you can oh, you just get like surrounded by all these wonderful thinkers who give you brain nuggets mm-hmm. as you would call them. Uh, And you just get really nourished off them. And it's like you've got all these wonderful conversations happening and it's exciting. So I was having that all about cultural heritage and starting to understand that cultural heritage is, it's about our collective identities. It's about memory. It's about place. It's about... um, food it's about so many different things but it's all about how i god this is really hard i've set myself up to try and explain cultural heritage that's an essay in itself um but yeah i'd say collective identities that kind of come through in very many different sort of facets of who we are like you know so you could say if i'm white british then fish and chips and uh be smiths or you know hang on is smiths even they better be british the beatles the beatles yeah, yeah, yeah. please edit that out if i've got that wrong yeah. the beatles are part of like white british especially northern uh kind of thinking my mum's my mum's background there i think because she saw the beatles in liverpool <laughs> um but things like that like that's how you kind of like start building a picture of like a collective identity and um and everybody's is different and if you come from a different country you bring it with you and then it starts kind of turning into it starts adapting to the new environment or uh, it's it's really hard to explain in like so many words and I'm doing a terrible job of it I'm sure but um then we start thinking about the sort of the deep heritage and the in the, in the past that has to be kind of brought forward from beyond living memory. And that's when you start really learning about humans as a society. And that can be really exciting as well. And I, I was really lucky to do some uh, work or to, to sit on seminars with, some of the best archaeological thinkers talking about like the theory of archaeology and material culture and um because archaeology the word archaeology stands for the study of of human remains like material remains um and I got really into um so my material remain of choice to try and sort of understand more about to try and understand how certain objects tell more stories about humans than we first anticipate Mm. and I started focusing on postcards um as a as a way of telling stories about the humans in the past and Victorian postcards in London particularly were really interesting to me um and so I got really academic about that and then I started going to to conferences and started telling this story about how postcards are you know a small part of technology that um got born of the postal system but also photography and and it was all about how we started sending messages to each other and my basic like my takeaway point about postcards is they were the twitter of the 1800s because they got sent seven times a day, you got a photograph of something, and often you would get messages like "See you for dinner at seven, okay?" Because they were like sent so often. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I I wanted to get I wanted to go into cultural heritage management initially, because I was thinking I'd be a good wedding planner. I think that was the the initial draw but then when i came out the other side of my masters i was like there's so much to this that my curious brain was just like give me more give me more i want to think about this and then and then do you want to hear about and then is this this i think this might be chapter three
0: it's all and then it's it's all and then yeah just keep following
1: okay all right i'll keep going So I did my master's. I had that fun with the postcards. I started going to conferences and people started saying, you should do a PhD. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really flattering. But I don't know if I want to do that because I actually really, really want to like a jobby job. Like I don't want to be an academic. I don't think I was a bit confused. I was indecisive about it. I didn't know what I was doing. And those moments happen all the time in your 20s. Right. Um, And I think... Then I was looking for something to do when I moved back home. Um, and I got a job at an apple farm just because it was there. <laughs> and I was like, why not? And so I put my sales bat, hat back on and started selling apples at markets in the local area. And best job to date ever. I mean, I love my job now, but mm-hmm. nothing. And that. I only worked six months because it was a seasonal job, uh, but something about that role and the things that I was doing for it, like you know, having to get up really early in the morning before even the birds were up and get packed up ready to market, and the apples themselves—I mean, they're amazing. There's so many good fruit out there, and we golden delicious and pink ladies eat your heart out you cannot like when you have an apple that's been picked at the right time um in the right way
0: <laughs> from mm. a
1: tree that's gro- like grown locally there's nothing better it tastes amazing and mm. um and I got back into that whole thing of like I believe in this I can sell it to anyone <laughs> so so I then started selling these apples at market and I remember one this one example was um I was you know doing my thing people will often come up to because the the lady who managed the apple farm she was like quite well known and so she had regulars and stuff but there was this one guy like I remember seeing him in the back and he was sort of eyeing up these apples I was like "Hmm, somebody's a potential new customer Uh, and he was wearing his construction sort of outfit like high-vis orange overalls and all that and I just thought you know what I'll just give you this one this one apple I I reckon this one's got your name on it here you go chucked it over to him and I said you'll eat that and you'll come back and buy another and so he sort of smirked at me wandered off and then came back about 20 minutes later and he's like I'll buy 12 please (laughs) I was like I still got it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and I just Uh, It was also really good to work outside because I did a lot of um, pruning the trees and the picking of the apples and then sorting them. And it was really good in terms of, like, teamwork building because I had to work with people that I wouldn't normally have worked with, uh, kids who were, like, the cool kids at school. And I was a bit too geeky for them. So I was, like, chatting to them, getting to know them. And, yeah, it was just this really, like, weird melting pot of, like, things that i love that have stayed with me since and then this is the next and then do you want do you want me to pause do you have any questions
0: i think i think it's really interesting when you when you speak there about that experience because like most when you associate oh yeah like i was selling apples on markets like people wouldn't associate that with being someone's favorite job i found really interesting how you're picking literally picking um picking out the like parts of that that have helped you in your journey but there's so many there's so much skill sets and characteristics that you can develop as a person through that through that role and i think for any young people listening or even obviously people in that space and like or or employers that might think that oh but we're just a, a mundane job or, or their mm. the culture they've created internally or, or whatever like
1: yeah like you can yeah, learn so that. much
0: there, there's so much that you can add to your character through doing something like that and yeah. like we say it's a chapter within the, the the bigger picture yeah. it might serve it might serve you for six months but actually yeah. that service for six months has created you to be a brilliant and we will come on to um mm-hmm. but it that what you've learned there has probably given you amazing um characteristics for what you do now and i just find I think, that really yeah, interesting
1: yeah. i think i think i should also mention that like during my my ba and my masters i was also a waitress um so i was you know serving tables, cleaning stuff. And I i always kind of felt like it was important to kind of balance my academic work and the getting involved in the hive mind, getting sort of giddy about these new ideas and philosophies and stuff and theories. But just serving tables and trying to, like, keep it real, like, making... Talking to local people, like, making sure that I kind of... I don't know... I just I just wanted to be pragmatic still. I was like and then when I did the apples it was just I I think one of the things that was a really good takeaway point for me there is that I could I could be like a lot more physically like I was doing manual labor essentially. Um and I you know as a as a young woman often you don't get seen in that light as a young woman who's like done academia. Um, and seen as quite bookish and geeky, it's like, oh, yeah, well, what do you know about, like, carrying a heavy box and stuff? And I think that's possibly why that little scene of me throwing an apple to the construction worker really <laughs> appeals in my head because it's like, I I think there's a lot of young women out there who don't think that they could, I don't know, Give themselves a chance to be a bit more, sort of, I don't know what the word is. It's kind of a bit bolshy. No, that's not the right word. Brave is possibly there, but it's like physically able. Yeah, that that thing, you know. And I was up doing. I was cutting down, um, pruning the apple trees in the snow and just loving it because I was like, actually, I can depend on like my arms and legs to do a job. Nice.
0: Um,
1: and that was kind of important, I think.
0: That's so inspirational because I, th- I think that there'll obviously be listeners that might want to get involved in something or an opportunity they see or a sector or even yeah. begin their own business in, in something and they may not have heard someone Speak so honestly about their experience and maybe how they've actually they've bit they've actually done it they've, you've obviously gone through that process in your life and it's so it served you well for what you do now so I think that's going to add so much value mm.
1: I think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes we are walking contradictions like we can be on the one hand bookish and academic and uh you know say fancy words and stuff, but you can also have a bit of a band with you know the everyday Marketing. yeah you can and you can i don't know what the sort of like day to day challenges that um
0: we can be street wise like you there there's there's times in your life where you have to be street wise Yeah, but like, but that adds to your character, isn't it? Like, that's where you can become flexible in certain situations, and then that, in, well, in my instance, if I was speaking with someone that had loads of layers to who they are, that really excites me because then I can I'm able to put them in different situations where they can thrive and add more, almost add more strings to their bone.
1: I think if like you. You know if you're a young person uh thinking about like oh i need to do all of these things in like the streamlined way and everything i do must go towards this one thing i'll be like well you could do that or you could go and do something quite different and see where that takes you because it it, it will add you will take <laughs> stuff away from it ah see Leia's agreeing with me yes you the me. Great. yeah do you think so too girl <laughs>
0: I love Good that. What, well done. The, one thing I would add is also Katrina that unfortunately, from listening to a lot of young people, that is their one thing that they are scared of more than anything is that if they choose the wrong
1: yeah
0: path, and this is why we're trying to break down and almost change the narrative around the world career because they 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 genuinely believe that if you choose the wrong the first step of the journey if you choose the wrong step then it's over and it's, yeah. it's literally just the beginning and, and i think unfortunately because of certain systemic um how the system is created is that young people feel that they can't see they can't see that far ahead because they can't see chasing the next exam they're constantly chasing yeah. the next course or whatever but also they're so they're so scared to make the wrong decisions and that because of the procrastination is actually that's the problem and that actually experimenting and being curious and trying loads of new things will add so much more to them
1: so when you're talking about that the thing that comes into my mind and this is where like you have to forgive me i love talking in analogies uh if you think of like education as like the trunk of a tree where everything's like very straight and it's like one way up, one way down, you yeah. gotta go through this path. It's the only path, right? It's just one path. Uh and then you start getting into like, oh, these choices, and then they're branching off. But some people are still worried that they've just got to go straight, like, straight up the straight path. It's actually like there's so many choices out there. And I mean, coming to sort of the chapter three uh of my choices it you start going down one path and you realize that there's so many other niche little ways and other opportunities and you didn't you could never have seen where those paths were coming from or going to from where you were on the trunk like if someone's saying like oh you're doing your GCSEs in a or a levels in math are you going to become a statistician or this this that and the other and it seems like quite like the career options seem quite like constrained and then but you know i don't i still find it difficult in to, to to explain exactly what my job is to people i just say i work in archaeology but i'm not technically an archaeologist and then the questions start and then i say well i do this that and the other and sometimes i dress up as a dead person and Da, 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 da. well not sometimes i did that yes. once but um and, and my job is so varied now and i love that and but i could never have predicted even 10 years ago when i was picking apples i could never have predicted where where i am now and i wanted different things at different points as well i wanted mm-hmm. to be i wanted to be a wedding planner at one point I wanted to be a museum person. Kind of glad I didn't go that way in the end, which is kind of weird.
0: I love that. So, that, like, so from what from what you're saying to, to where we are now, then so you, you went through the process of selling newspapers, uh, like trying to get the um, uh, the sales, the, yeah. the businesses in newspapers. You've done apple picking. Yeah. Went to university, yeah. like, like went through that process. Then, then what? What? what what's chapter two? So
1: after after the apple picking, I um I was uh, applying for jobs. Um, I was trying to get into the museum stuff. Um, and then I uh got a, a, I was doing multiple interviews for PhDs, and then I got a PhD, and it was a paid for PhD. So basically, they pay you to do the research, which doesn't isn't always an option for some people to actually pay to do their PhDs and like mm. pay money to the universities mm. um and this was a PhD that was uh in York and very much focused on York is very York centric and uh York at the time was uh attempting to well it, it, it had a failed world heritage bid and they wanted to do more research into what people thought about York as a as a historic city as a historic center and a place of heritage and um, I'd done a bit well it was all about values and values that people had for heritage you know in very much a western kind of idea of what heritage is because if you go to the east heritage is very different um and very different 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 countries have different concepts of what heritage is a cultural heritage but in in this country it's sort of like the built environment it's the museums it's the um it's the cemeteries it's the uh the ghost tours like it's that sort of thing it's quite physically focused um on sort of places and and standing buildings and so on stuff like that and the archaeology of course mm-hmm. so and the values around that they wanted to investigate what that was um and what basically people thought of York and what it meant to them for the for York to have like for instance World Heritage status and um so I got like into that and um it was it was tough Sam like the Masters was fun it was it was hard in a different way it was like write write this essay read these people develop an opinion in like three minutes and then talk about it it was really fast paced the PhD was like right here you go you're on your own you decide and I was like Mm -hmm. oh okay and I really struggled uh initially well yeah throughout the whole thing (laughs) um uh because I kind of I think it was that same thing you were talking about that um concern and anxiety around decision making and whether whether I was going to be saying or reading the right thing or developing the right argument and uh I think yeah I sort of sat with that for a long time and then sort of stuff started happening and I kind of I don't know I think I like followed my nose on a couple of things and you know had some good mentors who sort of helped me in the right direction um and yeah just sort of found my way through it um and basically to cut a long story short long agonizing story short um I helped as part of my PhD I helped set up a sustainability cafe in a red brick building called the Red Tower and uh and basically just was doing what I felt like was always the right thing to be doing balancing the academic stuff with like actually being with people who were living their day-to-day lives, having to deal with, you know, cost of living and isolation. And um, I I kind of saw, oh yeah, I had an apple cider uh, day at the red tower and like got people to come. Basically this red tower was like a, a brick building on the city walls it was uh, as old as the city walls, and um, but with some restorations, Victorian restorations, and there was a group forming around it who wanted to basically turn it into, like, a, a community asset so that it could be purposeful for the community. and And I felt like, at this point, the Red Tower became, like, all of the stuff that I brought with me, all of the conversations I had with local businesses, all of the the green stuff with the apple picking and the marketeering stuff, bringing together all of my interests at this red tower um, with uh, working with the sort of the local scene. And we ended up working with this um, real junk food project. That's kind of like, that was kind of like fair share. I think if you've heard of fair share, it was like a food bank. And uh, also, so I was sort of like running events, did like a residence barbecue and we were trying to consult with locals on as to what the red tower, how it could be, how it could become a a community asset. So to combat like isolation and, um, various different sort of everyday evils and yeah, it kind of encapsulated loads of different interests that I was bringing together. And I worked with this incredible crew of people who were just inspirational. Um, in, you know, I'm going to shout out to Amelda and Barry and Kayla and Ruth and Karen and just, you know, what a crew. Um, and also I wrote a PhD from it. Um, at, but for me, it wasn't about the paperwork. It was about that project. And then mm. um, I, I still go on Facebook and check them out. Just to see how they're going still running and they've com- fully converted now with like electrics and the toilet and everything
0: That's amazing. Um,
1: so yeah and i think it was you know thinking about all of all the stuff i brought with me from my previous like the newspaper stuff and the sales stuff and the apples and i kind of started realizing that this i mentioned about values as being something that the phd was about And I started seeing how like the the values were all there, like that, those were the values and they were driving me forward. And so as part of my PhD, I was starting to capture everybody's values as they were going through this process of trying to make this thing happen. Mm. And yeah, and I'm still sort of thinking about, I'm still working on the concept of values as something that's a driving mechanism that is a sort of a promise to either yourself or as a group a promise as to how you're going to act and how you're going to try and get things done and lead you towards the vision um so yeah that's the end of chapter 3
0: <laughs> that's amazing i've i've got one question about this as well what similarities did you see what, what what's the link between that PhD project and entrepreneurship
1: um well I don't know if it's a contradiction to say that there's such a thing as an academic entrepreneur because I think I think I think what often happens with academics is they get labeled as like stuck in the mud, never getting anything done. They just ruminate, they ruminate and ruminate. And yes, I do know about rumination through doing academic work. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, But there's also space within academia. And I'm sure there's lots of certainly heritage folks, heritage academics, the space for creativity and experimentation is there for sure. And also, there are resources, certainly now, to bring some of those experimentations and ideas into, into being. And the Red Tower, I think, was an entrepreneurial activity um, because it was creative. It had to have a, a solid business plan. Uh, it had to have oh, a social enterprise that came around it. And there's now the Red Tower CIC. Wow. Um, And but it wasn't just about it wasn't, it wasn't just about the academia, like the academia, that I brought to it and the thoughtfulness I had, you know, I had to think about, like, the deep dive into the ways in which media would help us sort of spread the word about the Red Tower and like the deep dive, because that's essentially what academia is, isn't it? It's deep diving into subject matters and into practices and drawing on those other folks who have had a go and a think about what's gone before Mm. and and then coming up with something new Uh, the actual definition of a phd is something that is an original contribution to to knowledge And that is something that you have to, in your viva, which is like the big test at the end, where you argue your, you make your argument and you you hold your ground is is that I have made an original contribution Mm. in these ways. Mm. So if entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurism is seen as something that's creative, then maybe there's a link there.
0: Mm. Yeah, I just think from listening to that, project that you done. I just think there's so much, um, there's such a link between entrepreneurship. There's, there's so many entrepreneurial activities that you went on during that project.
1: It was great fun. <laughs> and I,
0: love, I love the fact that that is now a CIC as well and that it's constantly yeah. into the local community. So, I love it. Thank so, you. going on to the, well, the current but final chapter so far in your journey, What does that look like? And then as part of that as well, well, what what was the journey that we've been on um, with our collaborations with our collaborations? Yeah, okay.
1: I'll try and wrap that up all in (laughs) in one nice little neat package. So, chapter four. uh, Post-PhD, I got a job uh, at a country park uh, as a heritage engagement officer, which meant I was basically doing what I did at the Red Tower, like trying to get people to come to events and plan for different activities. I uh, did that for three years. I really loved that job. I also got to set up a new community orchard in that country park, which was one of the highlights. Also met nice. some really great people. Um, more apples. More apples. Why not? <laughs> um, and yeah, that there were some really great projects. Uh, that I worked on there, and then I finished that job. That was a lottery-funded project, and by that point, I'd sort of like gotten the like quite experienced in sort of managing projects um, and delivering them. And then, and you know, sort of had had all these like tools. Right by this point, I had loads of tools to just someone say right. Cat, we need you to de- deliver a week's worth of uh, activities to capture this audience and you have this budget and go, <laughs> you know. So, um, and then I got a job at MOLA, which is the Museum of London Archaeology. And the projects that I do now there are Whereas before at the country park, it was lottery funded. So that was a charitable, um, sort of the charitable objectives and values. And then for this job, it's uh, it's led by uh, developers uh, who are the client, um, And they essentially uh, give us a brief and the budget to deliver work that's associated with their uh, infrastructure projects and so whenever anyone builds anything for instance in london uh like a new building and um or new highways or railroads or whatever they they get in touch with uh, with molar who do the excavations but mm-hmm. also so they dig for the archaeology before which is a legal requirement
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they then do some uh social value work i would call it uh working with communities to um to basically inform and engage those relevant audiences into what's happening in their local area which again brings me back to kind of the local ecosystem getting to know who who's who matters in you know who needs to be spoken to um about these changes to their to their places Mm. And um, who, yeah, who does it matter to that these changes are taking place? And with how what they want to know about that? Um, you know, would you want to know what was here two hundred years beforehand, and how the landscape's changed since then? Um, and so we work on these projects as in a great team, um, and that's how I met you guys, basically. Um, so we're working on a project. Uh, in cambridgeshire and bedfordshire sort of area and um they my team amazingly had cooked up this idea to get a group of young people together to make some films about the work that archaeologists do um in a processing center which is a very under known like unknown underrepresented uh Aspect of the archaeological process, mm-hmm. and so, and I'd heard, I'd heard um, about the Inspire to Ignite CIC um, through some other work, and I just my ears pricked up. And in addition to sort of like putting this opportunity, this work experience opportunity to do filming with young people to like local colleges and. Um, other community organizations we reached out to you and that's when things started happening really um and yeah not really look back and yeah i think i was really excited to get on involved in this particular project because uh i think having gone through all of the academic stuff and my other aspects of my career I could definitely see a pattern i've got two younger sisters uh i could definitely see a pattern working with young people as well That, as you say that's sort of like this sort of i don't know this challenge in the stagnation of people not knowing what to where to go next and so mm-hmm. i just kind of wanted to uh give people ideas about where what possibilities and opportunities are out there, and how mm. how crazy life can be.
0: I love that. Like showing, like allowing them to like have an experience like what we did together with our collaboration. But also that that will inspire them to take the next step that they want to take in their life. Like so, just for context for listeners. So we collaborated on this pilot project, wasn't it? Really, just yeah. to see how it. Um, went down and basically from the, the brief for the project was, there was a client that uh, wanted to, there was two briefs and we, the pick the, the, the brief that we picked was actually changing people's mindset to uh, make them aware that archaeology is a science. Yeah. And then the young people had three days, three full days um, together at this um, arche- archaeological site or the um What's it, called? What's, it, what's it called again? The
1: Stansted Processing Centre. Yeah, the Processing archaeo- Centre. Yeah.
0: So they literally had three days to meet with the archaeologists, embed themselves in the environment, had a tour, which was amazing, and then really got to understand what the client's brief was. And then they went on a journey together as a group yeah. to create these assets. And, well, one, what did you think? And how was your experience with work with oh, curious entrepreneurs? But two, what did your um, staff think as well?
1: So I think one of the because I wasn't, I didn't really have much ex, like expectations or any expectations as to what the actual outputs, the films were going to be like. You know, I was I was really interested in like the journey that the young people were going to be able to take. Uh, and it wasn't really at the end of the day it wasn't really just about the films but oh my god the films are brilliant (laughs) like they're so good I was absolutely dumbstruck with like the quality and um, everyone was everyone in in the staff thought they were amazing and what they actually ended up producing was really top quality and we were just blown away by that and the way that they took on the brief and they worked in for instance they worked in the little characters that were based on our little mascot and it was just so it was just so perfectly placed within everything that we were also trying to do. So on that on the one hand, yes, the, the films were themselves really fantastic, even though we didn't expect them to be necessarily and they don't need to be. But on the other hand, the journey that they went through, what a privilege to see that happen and to see them just turn around in three days and then to come together to delegate to each other to compromise and negotiate on things Mm. to make sure that everyone had a fair amount of work to do and everyone had their own say and just I mean that is one of the best things about working with young people is they just continually surprise you and um and you just think, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely hope there, isn't there? <laughs> They're not all especially with you know obviously you've set set up a really great um support network for them, and I was trying to listen to like the words that you were saying to them and the questions you were asking them. I think we both reflected afterwards, Sam that." i'm really good at the organization thing it's one of my tools that i bring into things now
0: mm-hmm.
1: but also i really appreciate the role that you could play in being able to prompt reflective questions chivying them along getting them to really think back on their creative role whatever mm. that was at that point in time
0: mm. yeah it's so nice to hear that from you um directly but also i think that when we had our, our debrief after, actually, the young people, I didn't have to do a lot because they were just so amazing they gelled as, as a group. Yeah. Actually, my role was, guys, the energy yeah. is so high. Yeah. We have, like, where are we going?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, it's I, not a bad place to be.
1: No, I, I felt exactly the same. I was like, right, I've gotten, I've, I I was, it's quite funny because, you know, I'm so good at planning now
0: yeah. Um.
1: Uh, and I got to this point with this uh, workshop plan, and I was like, "Right, okay, what's next?" Mm. And they just did it, and I was cool. just like, "Okay, but what do I do?" Well, I had other, I had other th- fights to fight uh, at the same time, um, sort of sorting out the admin side of things. Uh, and but I'm really, I was like, "This is new. Like, I can just sit back and, you know, have." these sort of boring more boring conversations about how what's going on around this, but the actual the eye of the storm was like so calm and so cool. Yeah. Um, they just had it under control.
0: Well that's what happens when you one allow give us safe space for young people to be themselves, but two, you, you with the coaching questions and stuff like that, you allow them to take power of the journey. And that's what's really powerful. Um, so we have obviously got some um, – we're looking to obviously take things further you guys, yeah. how successful that first pilot went. Um, we won't share too much. Again, we'll, we'll keep the sales process. We
1: can't. We can't. We can't jinx it carefully. We'll have to
0: do a part two. Yeah. Um, so really what we've applied for is really cool. and really yeah, excited. I'm, I'm
1: excited as well. So I we're pushing, pushing the boat out, the aren't we? Crossed.
0: We're yeah. pushing the boat out with yeah. the technology, with the idea, with the entrepreneurial thinking. Um, so I'm really excited. For hopefully, fingers crossed, everything gets uh, agreed. to. So we'll have to definitely do a part two uh, and for let sure. everyone know. Yeah, happy to. Went. But I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. And all the chapters that we i in, I've literally, it's been amazing to get to know you um, even more as well. And I, I love the fact that there's so much entrepreneurial thinking within you with your journey with, with what you do in your role now as well.
1: I, I think that's possibly what maybe, like, you know, the law of attraction type thing. I think maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah. a little bit of that in terms of like, ah, oh, these guys are doing some really cool things. And, yeah, I could see some... Uh, synergy, which is a bit of a buzzword now but yeah, it, 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 we chimed I think and I'm really grateful for it and really grateful for being invited to to chat to you um, as well so um, thanks for inviting me Sam
0: Thank you, so for any, for any of the listeners um, that obviously want to connect with you after this podcast, obviously we'll we'll drop below the organisation um, like the Museum of London Archaeology and where that find out about all that they, we can put links to obviously the project that we've done in the in the podcast description but where can people connect with katrina
1: um you can connect with me i mean if you if you google my name i am the only katrina foxton in the uk
0: oh <laughs> really
1: one only there's only one other katrina foxton and she's in Tasmania or somewhere no. hi if you're listening mm-hmm. uh yeah so katrina foxton is is not a very common name um so just google me uh you can see me on the Mola website so Mola spelled mikey oscar lima alpha uh if you just type in molar katrina foxton um you can find me uh i mean i can send over my email address which is k foxton at molar.org.uk um and i would be happy to hear from you
0: Thank you. So uh, hopefully everyone listening has really enjoyed this episode as much as I have. And please, obviously, if you've enjoyed it, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. And obviously we're open to feedback and constantly wanting to improve the podcast. And please, if you have enjoyed it as well, share with your friends on social media or via DMs as well. So for now, I will see you next time. And thank you again for listening. Uh...
1: Bye. Bye.